Well, if I got a surprise for you today as we go inside EMS, I am your host, Chris Subalero, and I got to tell you, there's a lot of things happening inside EMS, and there's a lot of things happening outside of EMS. Kelly Grayson is on the EMS World Tour up there in Glen Falls, New York, delivering the highest quality of education that he knows how to do. So what do I do for you? I bring in our international correspondent to sit in. Rob Lawrence, I want to thank you for being my co-pilot on this week's show. As always, Chris, it's a pleasure being your utility player. Put me into any position on the field and I'll give it a good go. And uh, you're very successful at that. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be going on uh, vacation holiday here pretty soon. Actually, next week, I will be gone for three weeks. And guess which one of us will be sitting in the host chair for me? Well, indeed, this is almost our handover takeover show. So I hope you're going to leave that coffee machine full for when I uh, take the chair over. You will. And uh, I have your cup already and everything's ready to go. And I appreciate it, Rob, for you being so versatile to step in. But Rob, I think that there's a lot of things to talk about this week. And one of the things that happened inside EMS that I think has given a lot of people some opinions is what came out of Iowa on the 28th of April. Four Iowa EMS providers were cited after a medic allegedly uh, gave intoxicated EMT IV fluids. And just a little bit about the story, if you haven't heard, there were four friends that were hanging out inside the home and one of the EMTs was apparently intoxicated. And according to the story by the Gazette, uh, one of the uh, paramedics started an IV on the uh, EMT that was intoxicated. Apparently, the EMT had the supplies there in their home, of course, all from the story. And the state health officials got wind of that. And they cited the uh, participants who were there. The two people who, uh, the EMT that got the IV, the EMT that started the IV, and Rob, what was interesting is the two other uh, EMTs or paramedics that were there that didn't try to intervene or didn't try to stop the practice, they were also cited as well. And the state says any further violations could result in disciplinary, including suspension and revoke of their license. And uh, so I think that this is going to be interesting to talk about some great comments, Rob, but from your side, I'm going to let you get the first word. Well, first of all, Chris, come on. This isn't Las, Las Vegas. This isn't Fremont Street. This isn't an Oxygen Bar. This isn't a, you know, call the faux ambulance over to give you some fluids because you've had a hangover. Uh, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be on the side of, you know, this is another example of how we're bringing ourselves into disrepute. And, uh, you know, we should know better. And uh, if this is the end of the show, that's my final comment. But uh, that's my opener, Chris. And I think that that's a good place to be. And when we think about this, I think as we become leaders, we do take different spins on what is right and what is wrong. I got to tell you, Rob, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the uh, Las Vegas, you know, the IV. When I first saw that IV bus that was trolling around, but even more importantly, when I was sitting at the pool in Las Vegas, they come and give it to you by the pool if you want an IV to help with that. But in EMS, and if we go back to the old days before electricity, Everybody has a little bit of a medical kit, right? We're, we're kind of filling our own at-home medical kits or the ones that we're keeping in our cars in case we come across those accidents. And I got to tell you, I, I have to admit to you, Rob, as a paramedic back in the old days, I remember sitting in the back of the ambulance and starting an IV on myself 
when I needed one back late 80s and 90s. And uh, it was in the military days, but still I did it. And uh, but now when we start to think about this, I agree with you 100% that this is not the practice. But how do we change this culture now to allow or to for the EMT providers to think that this was okay practice? Well, first of all, we're in the United States of America and the rest of the world, because as you know, I come from the rest of the world, looks on America as an exceptionally litigious, risk-averse place. And so let's sort of just get into, get segue down the, I've got my own medical kit in the back of the car discussion. And yeah, it happens. And uh, I was telling you a story before we came on air about uh, the day uh, in my past service where we issued uh, tourniquets in all the ambulances and bizarrely about the equivalent number of tourniquets were quote unquote used that week as we had members of staff because of course the squirrel kit is now up by one more piece of equipment and uh, so that's a problem because you know the good samaritan laws are there for good samaritans that have no prior knowledge no experience no background etc but if you are a medic then you whip out this kit and start using it on people then you're on the hook for everything and anything that goes as a result of you using that that kit and equipment, um, you know, it may be out of date, it may not be appropriate for the condition or the scene that you're at. And so there's a whole bag of liability that the medic exposes themselves to. There's a whole bag of liability that therefore the employer exposes themselves to. And we come back to the whole, you know, above the above the, the uh, front page, above the fold, and, you know, paramedic did this. And, uh, you know, we're so done with stories of paramedic did this. This is one of those paramedics did this stories. Um, you know, and we're going to be tiring people for a long time. And so, you know, if in doubt, don't. Yeah, and I think that that's great advice. You know, one of the things that I find interesting with this too, Rob, is that there were four people hanging out in their home and this action had it, this action happened, but the state got wind of it. So how did that occur? Obviously, I would say that if the four individuals, and of course, this is, I'm just supposing now, uh, the four individuals that were cited, this had to come from somewhere else, right? And uh, so it, at the point that I'm trying to bring up with this, isn't that, uh, you know, how the state found out, the state should have found out, but it's the point of the things that you do that you may think are okay, or the things that you do that you're telling people that you think are okay, somebody is going to take umbrage to, someone is going to take, you know, a, a bad side to this, and there's going to be repercussions of this. So, you know, the point I'm trying to make with this is that just because you think you could do it doesn't mean someone's not going to take a, a, have a challenge with it and uh, talk to the powers to be. Well, it, come, it comes back to my point about litigation, because if this ends up being litigated, ends up in front of a judge, the first question is, who knew? And so if it then comes out that, oh, the supervisor knew about it and we just laughed it off, that's not a good thing because that's just showing that everybody was complicit in, you know, it, 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 it's this, it could be, you know, somebody, um, you know, diverting drugs. It could be somebody, if you have some sort of gas and air set up in the back of the truck, having a, a sniff of that because you're a bit, you know, you need a bit of a, a bit of a booster. It could be anything and everything. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy in the corner office in this conversation, Chris, the, the view is that uh, if it didn't happen, it wouldn't have been a problem. You know, one of the things, Rob, that I, I want to be able to talk about is back in the old days when I was working at MedStar in Fort Worth, Texas, there were opportunities where people were helping their partners with different things, whether it was bandages, whether it was IVs, whether it was whatever it was. And the medical director's office 
came out with a very, very uh, interesting stance to it. And sometimes it was even with first responders. You know, so if we had a first responder, a, a fire department organization, and one of their firefighters were hurt, and we did what we did where we gave bandages or we were able to help them in whatever way, the medical director's office said, fill out a chart. You know, if you're going to go ahead and treat um, and you're going to use your protocol to treat, um, you need to fill out an AMA chart to say that we did what we did. And, uh, you know, that that's the end of it. And I think that that was a good practice. So when we're on duty, I think there may be a little bit of different spin here of how we're able to treat our peers, how we're able to treat our uh, first responder partners. But when we're off duty, I think that changes the, uh, you know, the landscape quite a bit. Right. When you're on duty in the UK, that was what was known as a running call. If you came across something whilst going from A to B or C to D, then you would stop, administer treatment. And the most important bit that you mentioned is document it. So therefore it happened because as we know, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. Well, this happened and it wasn't written down. Um, and therefore, you know, that's, that's the start point of this whole uh, issue. And so, you know, some, some folk may listen to this show and, and go, Oh yeah, give them a break, etc. But again, we are held to such high standards at the moment, all of public safety, but this particular year, Chris is held to such high standards. We've gone through the wars. We've gone to Helen back this last 12 months um, in terms of the stuff that we've had to deal with on the front lines. And what we don't need is to be taken down a peg at a time by things that then expose us for not being so professional or dedicated to the cause. I have to agree. You know, you talk about cause and, and one of the things that you kind of specialize in, Rob, is the just culture transition. And uh, you brought it into your organizations and you were very successful with that. And if I kind of lean on your expertise here to kind of talk about just culture, in this would be a great, uh, um, you know, subject to kind of put into that. How do you take this and kind of change the culture now? Because if we know that this is going on in organizations, if you and I are leaders in our, you know, leaders in EMS, and we've got to be able now to put these processes in a place to kind of change the culture, where do you start with this? It's a very good question, Chris. And of course, you know, 10 years or so ago where we created and an, an props to my medical director, Dr. Joseph Pionato, Dr. O, uh, an absolute legend of, you know, being the real um, champion of, of not only the culture of safety. These days, it's the culture of safety and wellness as well. Let's, let's acknowledge that. But the key thing with any organization is it has to start from the top. It has to be um, led from the top down. It has to start on day one. Um, one of the key things about a culture of safety, particularly, is everybody having the confidence and the ability to speak up when something's not right without fear of uh, punishment or um, you know uh, retaliation, etc. And so establishing that culture, safe, safety culture, where you can speak up. It's a bit, Chris, like flying in helicopters. We've both done that. You know, it takes two to say go, but only one to say no, right? And so, therefore, you have to be prepared to speak up. Um, and so self-reporting is a big deal. In Richmond, self-reporting was a thing that we worked on and people would come and go, ah, you know, I've, I've done something I need you to know to, the, to our chief clinical officer who then look at it. If it was an innocent mistake or if it was a learning, a learning moment, then, of course, it would be treated as such. If it was malicious or deliberate, then, of course, that's something that's different. But the point is you have to have the confidence to come in and say, screwed this up. Here's what I did. Here's why I did it. Here's what happened. And then, you know, everyone can work together to you know, not 
to not to fix it, but to actually learn from it, to mitigate it, and then to make sure that we, you know, we all benefit from that. Because otherwise, you end up with this sort of cone of silence, and you know, we never progress, and mistakes are covered up. And it sounds like this was, you know, an a, a, an an immature issue of judgment, perhaps, and it certainly wasn't documented, and probably certainly wasn't reported by those involved. Yeah, and I agree with you, Rob. And uh, again, we just want to be able to just to you know share with the listeners out there. I mean, at the time, the decisions we you know we do may seem to be the best in the moment, and we've got to remember that there's a couple things here. As Rob mentioned, we're in the line of fire, and we've got to be able to do our job better and cleaner than the next guy. I mean, we're the we're the role models when it comes to EMS, and it seems that every so often there's just a couple of stories that pop into the news feed that really kind of paint EMS in an interesting light. And uh, at the time, this may seem like the right thing to do, but in, in a case like this, and again, my, just me supposing somebody outside of this house is the one that brought this to the attention of the state. We don't know who's going to take umbrage to the things that we do. And you've just got to be very, very careful about that. And, uh, you know, do our job again, do our job better and cleaner than the next guy. But uh, very interesting story, Rob, very interesting comments. But uh, let's go ahead and transition a little bit. You, you, you spent some time as we were talking, you mentioned about COVID and going through war. Um, things are starting to change a little bit now. We're starting to hear, you know, people are returning to work and people, you know, our own Kelly Grayson, he's not here this week because he's up there at the initial assessment conference in Glen Falls, New York. Conferences are starting to open back up. I think we're going to be in Atlanta in October uh, for our big conference, Rob, and returning to work now. What, what do we got to think about here? Things are opening up and that's uh, good news, I hope, providing we don't, you know, go back into another spike. But uh, clearly, you know, as the public health folk tell us that enough people are getting vaccinated, the numbers are falling. Certainly, if you look at uh, the Nemesis tack by the numbers charts, which I commend to everybody, it's absolutely free and published every week. That's just giving us an in blow by blow, week by week account of some of the larger presenting con medical conditions that we're seeing, that things are returning to normal limits. You know, uh, the the out of hospital, you know, cardiac arrests are dropping. Um, we were seeing a lot of, you know, responding to cardiac arrests in the home because people weren't, you know, weren't calling because they had chest pains and all of a sudden they drop into cardiac arrests. Those charts are coming back to normal limits. Other things are becoming normal, like, you know, traffic accidents are back on the up again, which is a good sign that people are back out on the roads again. And so all those sort of things and, and EMS volumes are coming back to normal limits. So it's a good sort of combat indicator that things are are returning. And certainly in the EMS uh, you know, sphere, all of the conferences are now going back to live and some with a live virtual. You mentioned EMS World Expo. That's a live slash virtual sort of presentation. Um, Pinnacle is going to happen. Uh, the AAA conference in uh, in Texas is going to happen. EMS Today is uh, is is on. So the, all of these shows are now coming back to live. And uh, as you said, Kelly's off with our good friend Dr. Jeff Jarvis. I noticed that he's flying up there today as well. So. You know, providing we get the social distancing right and we abide by the rules. And uh, I just have to mention that AAA had its first live board meeting in Washington last Sunday, which was a success, aided by the fact that the hotel and the venues that they're in have some really well-policed um, social distancing um, prevention guidelines going. So everyone has a vested interest to make sure that we are safe in these places that we're going to. So it's happening, and uh, I certainly hope to see you in Atlanta uh, a little bit later on in the year, Chris. 
You know, but one of the things, Rob, as we think about this, there are still some challenges now as we're starting to see, you know, Texas now has a variant that's going on where they're saying that that variant may be resistant to the vaccine. We're seeing some incredible numbers that are coming out that people are getting their first shots, but they're not getting their second shots. We still have vaccine hesitancy. You know, one of the things that you mentioned as you went into your discussion about returning to work was things are getting back to normal. Is it premature because people are still either not jumping into their second dose or they're staying away from getting the vaccine totally? There's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? And so let's try and do it, you know, break it down into parts, each part being numbered. First of all, part one, vaccinations. Yeah, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy. Um, Perhaps that's now been encouraged by the fact that as more people get vaccinated, then the other half go, well, if he's got it, I'm okay, and therefore I don't need to get it. So there is that level of hesitancy. Um, There are some examples of, you know, people not coming back for their second dose. Um, Without a doubt, the whole AstraZeneca uh, and, uh, you know, the single dose um, bolus vaccine issue here with uh, Johnson and Johnson have caused a lot more hesitancy of course the uh, you know the incidence of uh, blood clots as reported by the way your deep vein thrombosis on the plane is more you know possible than the the, the clot from the, the covid vaccination that you may well be getting so you know there's a lot of of hesitancy issues i noticed that uh, the uh, washington post did a did a bit of a hatchet job on the police departments of america yesterday or the day before over their absolute lack of uh, vaccinations as well and obviously calling them uh, to the fore because you know they're public servants they should be setting the example but of course there's you know for many reasons they're not doing it either so you know yesterday i think it was yesterday uh, as we're recording this the white house very clearly said to states use it or lose it um, and so, you know, the president is announcing that rather than having these sort of mass sports hall, uh, sports arena vaccination centers, you can go to your local pharmacy, you can go to your CVS, you can go to your Rite Aid in the future and pick them up because they're desperate now just to get the, the vaccine into everybody's arms that want it at a convenient spot. So there's a lot to do. I suspect because of the presidential use it or lose it order, I suspect states will you know, double down on their encouragement on their public health messaging to get people to come and get it and, and get it they should. So that's kind of part one. Then there's the return to work thing and also the you know the mandatory vaccination. It's it's a big discussion going on. My son, one of my sons, uh, number four son, is actually at a university in Virginia and they are, along with many other universities, saying no vaccination next semester, no college. So they're starting to impose mandatory vaccinations, which throws up a whole legal issue that this vaccination set is under EUA, Emergency Use Authorization, and so, therefore, you know, lawmakers are kind of hesitant. This is lawmaking hesitancy. Do you ever think you hear that? Around the fact of making it mandatory because this is an emergency drug and not an FDA-approved drug. So they've got to get over that piece. But a lot of colleges, particularly, are now saying no vaccination, no college. Um, out there in our sort of uh, administrative offices, I'm sure that in in EMS agencies and organizations around the country, there is now the discussion of how do we start to integrate people back into the office? How do we ensure that they are safe? They are social distanced. How do we ensure that those that have elected so far not to be vaccinated are accommodated? Um, and of course, you know, there, there are many things to do, like anyone that has been vaccinated doesn't need to wear a mask. If you've not been va- if you've not been vaccinated, then you have to wear a mask. You know, that might encourage people to do so. So there's a lot on the table right now to be discussed around how we get back to work and how we get back to work safely. And I, I would wager it's on many 
uh, chief officers to-do lists at the top right now. I have to agree with you. And there certainly is an interesting time as we now start to, we thought it was going to be an easy transition to get back to what we were calling normal, but I don't think we're going to see the new normal again. But uh, Rob, also, I just want to go ahead and spin a little bit. You are the host of the EMS One Stop, and uh, I'm a fan and I listen to the show. And, you know, you're, you're doing, you know, it's really kind of a great uh, um uh, you know, opportunity to kind of read and hear you give your perspectives. And the show's kind of taken on a little bit spin. Uh, we were kind of talking before we uh, started and uh, you got something coming up. But for the folks that aren't a fan, and if you're not a fan, get on over there and listen to Rob's <laughs> show. If people aren't a fan, give them a little bit about the one stop and uh, let them know why they should be fans of that show. Well, first of all, to listen to the EMS One Stop, all you have to do is just hang on a second on this this channel because I do share it with Chris and Kelly on the on the on this particular uh, podcast channel. And by the way, we're on every broadcast channel from uh, SoundCloud to Apple to Spotify to Stitcher, Stretcher, and things I can't even remember. So we're out there, and uh, but do hang on and listen. Uh, what my one-stop show does really, first of all, is to discuss, is to do a live read of the column that I write most weeks for EMS One. And I try and do a little bit of analysis of the EMS environment that we live in and whatever the topic of the day is, whatever the policy is, whatever's going on that kind of affects the overhead stuff of uh, EMS. And then for the last six months, Chris, and this has been really where it's sort of taken on a life of its own, is that I then invite a guest in not to talk not to talk about the actual column I've just written, but to talk around the subject so we can expand the discussion. And so we've had some great conversations in the past. And uh, uh, the last one I did, for example, was with uh, Dr. Conrad Fibers, who's the uh, with, with the International Academy of Emergency Dispatch. And we talked about nurse triage and, of course, the future of nurse triage, which was a fascinating discussion, um, not added to by the fact that I'm English and he's South African, so half the people listening probably couldn't understand the word we were saying, but we gave it a go. Um, so that's coming, and, and coming up, uh, I'm going to be talking shortly to Doug Hooten, and uh, Doug is the Chief Executive Officer of Harris County ESD-11, and if you've been following them in the news, ESD-11 and Doug has been given the amazing task, and I think it's an amazing task, of here's a blank piece of paper, Doug, and here's a check for, you know, a, a few tens of millions of dollars. Build an EMS system from scratch. You're the only person in the room at the moment. You've got eight months to do it and go. And I think that's fascinating. And I'm looking forward to uh, bringing that both that column and that discussion uh, with Doug forward. And uh, interestingly, I noticed in the news this week that ESD 11 are advertising for the 250 or so folks they need to start the system off. They had a thousand applicants the first go round. And so uh, I'm going to drill into that because I think it's exciting stuff. But also, how on earth do you start from zero scratch nilch and get on with it? So uh, that's what I'm bringing to you next. I think that, you know, that's going to be a great story because a lot of us who have been in EMS for a long time, we step into roles, right? We step into organizations and, uh, you know, or we take over cities, but we're coming from a background of having a company behind us. So I'm going to look forward to that, uh, Rob, and I'm sure you're going to make it as interesting as you can. So for everybody out there, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And of course, contact the Inside EMS team at the show at ems1.com and share your show ideas give us your suggestions share a little bit about your feedback or if you want to join us as a guest go ahead and let us know and don't forget to send us some information about sending a shout out 
to those who are doing a great job. But Rob, I want to thank you for sitting in for Kelly. I want to thank you for taking up for me in the next couple of weeks. And I look forward to hearing the shows. Thank you, Chris. And uh, today I was uh, Kelly. Uh, next week, I'm going to be Chris, but channeling my inner Kelly. That's what we think. We'd love to know what you think uh, and get in touch uh, with us via the social media channels and via the, uh, the address at ems1.com. And until next week, I will see you later. <laughs>